Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be here with you for another edition of this film and entertainment industry podcast. After what was a very enjoyable Barbenheimer weekend and that whole extravaganza and movie event, we are back to our regularly scheduled programming this week, and it's been 19 days since the actors joined the writers on the picket lines. So I'm going to give you another update on what's been going on and what news has come out regarding the strike. The biggest news so far is the announcement from Sony of their changing movie schedule as a result of the strike. First up was Gran Turismo, which was scheduled to release very soon on August 11th, has changed its release pattern to its full release is now August 25th with weekend previews the weekends of the 11th and the 18th. This is Sony's attempt to market the film without having its big stars, Orlando Bloom and David Harborough, out doing interviews and press junkets for the movie. They're hoping that with these preview weekends, some positive word of mouth will be generated and that will serve as its own kind of marketing beast for the movie. I think a lot of movies may end up adapting their schedule to something like this as these A-list stars are a huge way studios market their movies, and without them, who knows what they're going to do. Sony also delayed Craven the Hunter, the newest addition to the Sonyverse, scheduled to come out October 6th, has been pushed back all the way to August of next year. I think without having Aaron T- Taylor Johnson to promote it and looking at the movie slate and window, they just decided, you know what, this movie will do better next year, so that's a long ways off before we get to see Craven the Hunter. Karate Kid was scheduled for June of next year, has been pushed to December. A untitled Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel was slated to come out December 20th. That is now coming out in March of 2024. It was already expected this movie would be delayed because of how far along they are with it, but the newest Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse was slated for next March. That's been taken off their calendar entirely. It is now TBD. From Searchlight Pictures, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, has been pushed from September 8th to December 8th. This movie is going to be big on the award circuit. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz already. With a movie like that, you need your stars to promote it. You need someone like Emma Stone out there talking about the movie. Disney can't market this movie really in any way. I saw a trailer for it. It looks pretty weird, which I am fully in for, but it does look strange, so... Searchlight is delaying that to December. We'll see if that date holds, depending on how long this strike goes on. And then Challenger, starring Zendaya, looks very interesting, very unique. Once again, these stars need to promote the movies for the studios. If they can't do that, the studios can't put out their movies. That's the whole point of the strike. That has been delayed to just some time in 2024. And those are the movies we know have been delayed so far, but there are tons of rumors. And one of the biggest studios facing these rumors is Warner Brothers. Dune 2 is scheduled to come out November 3rd. A lot of people are expecting Warner Brothers to delay that. The IMAX CEO actually in a shareholders meeting said the movie is not delayed, but the decision it doesn't rest with him. It rests with David Zaslav, who is going to have to determine what he's going to do as this strike goes on because I don't see it getting wrapped up by November. So Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, none of them will be able to promote the movie. They also have The Color Purple, another one of those award circuit, award junket movies. Slated to come out December 20th. That sounds like it might be delayed. 
Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom with Jason Momoa, one of the best aspects of DCEU with multiple of the recent movies being a flop is slated for December 25th. We'll see if that holds. Outside of just delays, there's been a lot more news and happenings and rumors going on involving this strike. One of the most interesting to me is the possibility of first look contracts and a force majeure termination for it. So there's a lot of terms there that I actually had to look up to understand properly, so let me run through those. A force majeure termination is a clause in many different kinds of contracts where when certain events happen, acts of God, so to say, that prevent either side from being able to fulfill the contract, it gives another side in out. It allows them to get out of the contract without penalty as unforeseen circumstances have arisen. And the specific contracts that this applies to are called first look contracts. They're primarily TV contracts where a writer or a showrunner, whatever their project is, they will sign a contract with the studio that says, hey, when I have this project, you will get the first chance at it. I'll bring it to you first. You can decide if you want to distribute it or not. And in return, the studio will give them a advance, so to say. And there is a growing rumor that starting tomorrow, August 1st, there is a chance this may come out on August 1st. So starting on August 1st, there's a chance that studios will look at terminating these contracts as the writers have not been working for, I believe it'll be three months at that point. So that's something to certainly keep your eye on. Um, Big showrunners like Shonda Rhimes, who did Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, she has first look contract. And some of them have terminology in their contracts where you cannot force majeure terminate it unless you do that to every first look contract you have. So this will be really intriguing. Before the strikes even started, I was seeing articles about studios possibly wanting to be able to invoke this because they regret some of those contracts. And this is one way for them to get out of it. So we'll be very interesting to see what happens on that end. I'll keep you in tune. If I see anything being voided or any contracts being terminated with some big name writers, I'll let you know. And as far as how our negotiations going, this is at a really interesting stance where both unions, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, are saying they want to talk, they're ready to negotiate, and they're just waiting on the studios to come back to the table. But the studios have not asked in any way to resume negotiations. In fact, all they're saying is that they will not return to the table until unions drop what they're calling non-starter issues. Pretty bold to call the issues non-starter they are. One of them is the share of streaming revenue, which as I've talked about is big. These studios are all making millions if not billions of dollars in streaming revenue, but they are not sharing it in any way with the writers or actors. It's the same back in the 60s when residuals became one of the major ways actors and writers made money. The studios have to adapt. If they have a new source of revenue based on other people's labor they have to share the wealth so to call that a non-starter really shows how far apart these two sides are and one of the other issues is the writers are asking for a mini minimum staffing level for writers which i've seen some people say that's like hiring quotas we can't do that i disagree because it's more along the lines of if you work at a restaurant and you're short staff short staffed you don't want to work there anymore because your work becomes miserable. It takes a physical and mental toll and it's unsafe working conditions at that point. 
if you're a writer for a TV show that needs 20 new episodes every year, if it's only you in that room and then some AI program, that's going to be stressful. How are you going to get your work done to a quality that the studios will be happy with? If there's not enough writers, the quality will start to lack and then you will be blamed and lose your job for it. So both those issues sound very reasonable to me. As I have mentioned, I am very pro-union. I think they deserve to be paid and they deserve proper working conditions. These corporations, these CEOs make billions of dollars. It's time to change it up. And the chief negotiator for SAG-AFTRA, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, has even said he has not heard from the studios at all in over two weeks. And that's really going back since the 12th when they declared they were on strike for the actors. He has not been in touch with the studios at all. So it's very intriguing to see where things lie, which is nowhere. There's been no progress made. This strike is going to go on. The studios think they can wait it out. And we'll see. What's helping the actors right now is there is some positive news. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson actually made a donation to the SAG-AFTRA Foundation's relief fund of over seven figures. It is the largest donation in the foundation's history. Um, and that's great news. It's very uplifting to see an A-list star such as uh, The Rock donating such a large sum of money. And that's the best way, way for A-list actors to help. They are not as immediately and as just they are not as immediately or affected by the strike and by not working as some background actors are. So for them to get out on the picket lines in solidarity, for them to give speeches, as I saw Brian Cranston doing at a picket event last week, and to donate when they and where they can and how much they can is all they can do to really help their fellow union members. While they are not necessarily as affected as badly, they can understand the struggle. They were there at some point in their life, a young and up-and-coming actor who needed to work two jobs while trying to get their acting career off the ground. All those young actors trying to get their careers off the ground are stopped dead in their career currently while this strike is ongoing. So the fund is a huge help. Hopefully we see whether it's in the public or in private, more actors are donating to the fund to make sure the unions can hold out for as long as possible until they get what they deserve. And that's pretty much the updates I have on the strike right now. I am constantly reading articles, so I will continue to keep you informed as I learn more information on the strike. It seems like much of the information that's going to come out over the next month or so is going to be delays. Uh, studios are going to start to feel this as things are getting delayed and pushed back and they can't promote their movies. And at the same time, they're not trying to negotiate. So there won't probably be, won't be much updates on the negotiation front, but I will keep my ear to the ground for delays in movies as that will bum me out. But if the strike is causing studios to delay movies, Keep striking, keep picketing, do what you have to do to get the studios to cave because the unions deserve to be treated better. Moving on now, it's on to the next segment. More rapid fire reviews. I continue watching a lot of movies at home, movies I probably should have seen years ago or really wanted to see last year in theaters for one of them that I'm thoroughly enjoying. I July has been a really great, great month of watching movies for me. I think I added four or five five-star movies that I just watched at home on top of another two five-star movies I saw in theaters. So 
July has been a great month of movie watching for me, so let me quick fire through some of these. Up first, my one-minute review for Dunkirk. Directed by Christopher Nolan, same director that did Oppenheimer, he is just a masterful filmmaker. The sound and score in this movie are really what stood out to me, yet again like they did in Oppenheimer, because it's that what you hear while this movie goes on is truly incredible. And it what he was able to do with Dunkirk specifically is show what's missing, I think, in a lot of war movies in that it's not all fighting, all action, all the time. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of slow parts during a war like this that most war movies don't show. They just glorify the action and the gore and the fighting. So for him to be able to bring what's really was a waiting game at Dunkirk Beach to life and make it captivating is great filmmaking. Nolan is the master of building suspense. I loved this movie so much. It's an instant top five war movie for me. I cannot believe, I think it came out in 2017, I want to say. So it's taken me six years to watch it. That's far too long. I absolutely love Dunkirk. Got an 8.4 out of 10 for me. Great movie. Watch Dunkirk if you can. Okay, up next, here's my review for The Fablemans. This movie made reaffirmed a love for Steven Spielberg. As a kid, you probably loved his movies without realizing it, E.T., Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jurassic Park, but The Fablemans really did something for me as an adult that now loves watching movies. As a result of this, I went and rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark because I was in I just needed more of that signature Spielberg touch, and this movie has it. You can feel the love that this movie is made with. And as someone that loves movies, it made me tear up a bit. It is based on his life, loosely based on Steven Spielberg's life growing up and his love for movies. And he put together a beautiful story with amazing performances from the likes of Gabriel LaBelle, Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, even Seth Rogen. This movie is so worth a Sunday afternoon in-watch. Really give it your focus and your attention. It's so heartfelt. I loved it. It's one of my highest rated movies. 9.5 out of 10. Absolutely loved The Fablements. All right. My next movie. Here's my review for Lady Bird. I watched this in the lead up to Barbie as I wanted to familiarize myself with Greta Gerwig a bit and... What a great movie. She was critically acclaimed for this, as was Saoirse Ronan's performance, and wow. Greta is able to so perfectly toe the line uh, between melancholy and hopeful. It is a work of art. The movie depicts the struggles of a young adult as they pre- prepare to venture out on their own and wrestling with what family means to them and how they interact with their family. It's it's hard to really sum the movie up because while it is partially a story about nothing, it's a story about everything. Very enjoyable, a very easy watch. I think it's right around 90 minutes. Highly recommend watching it at home. I believe I watched it on Paramount. Check it out. A very fun movie. 8.8 out of 10. Loving everything I've seen Greta Gerwig. One more movie to review in this rapid fire segment here. My review for La La Land. Directed by Damien Chazelle, he is the future of making musical movies. Between La La Land, Whiplash, and Babylon, it's become clear to me how well he understands the effect that music and score can have on a movie and how to utilize them 
to influence the film in the best way possible. This was more of a musical than I thought it was. I knew it had Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I knew there were some musical numbers. I didn't realize how music-based it was, and I loved it. There were points in the movie where there was no dialogue while scenes were unfolding, but if you really pay attention and focus on the score while the scene's unfolding, it almost acts as a dialogue. It tells the story in the audible sense as the actors are telling it in a visual sense. Rather than having the actors handle both aspects, he lets the music tell the story it needs to tell. And you can really feel Chazelle's stamp on this movie, and the last scene of it is amazing. Another 9.5 out of 10 on La La Land. It made me want to work in the film industry. I loved it. So, with those four movies out of the way, one common theme I really want to talk about with them is the director's. For each movie, I felt the need to mention the director because their stamp was so noticeable on it. For Dunkirk, you had Christopher Nolan. For The Fablemans, you had Steven Spielberg. For Lady Bird, you had Greta Gerwig. And for La La Land, you had Damien Chazelle. And I think that group of four directors kind of shows the landscape of the current directors in Hollywood and where they're at. You have... Spielberg, who is 76, you have Martin Scorsese, who is 80, who are in the twilights of their career. They're still putting out amazing movies, don't get me wrong, but probably their most memorable work, their most iconic work is behind them. And that's not a bad thing. It just shows the longevity they have and how they are masters of making movies and their stamp will forever be on the industry if they continue to put out movies that may possibly be their magnum opus in the end. Killers of the Flower Moon is already getting a ton of buzz for numerous Oscars. Hasn't even come out yet. So that's for Martin Scorsese. So I'm very excited for that movie. And that's kind of the oldest generation of filmmakers currently. And then you have those that are in their prime, that are really having fun with what they can do. And I think that's where Christopher Nolan falls in. You have, and even Wes Anderson, you have these Two directors who have their very, very much have their own distinct style and are experimenting with it and seeing what they can do. In Nolan's sense, he put in, out a three hour biopic epic about a nuclear physicist that was captivating and enthralling. And, and very much in his style, he filmed it uniquely using 70 millimeter IMAX film. And he's doing that because he can't. He has the name recognition to put out a movie like this and have it be a massive hit. And then you have Wes Anderson, they are 53 and 54 respectively, who put out Asteroid City where he said, you know what, I've discovered my style, I've developed it a lot more, let me turn it up a notch. Let me take it to another level with Asteroid City. I will get into Wes Anderson in depth one day, but those are kind of my directors who are in their prime, that have their style discovered and now they're experimenting with it and branching out further and really saying let me do what i do and studios and actors are all lining up to work with them and say yes please i would love to see what you have for me and then you have the younger generation which in my opinion contains greta gerwig and damien chazelle they are 39 and 38 respectively very young in terms of filmmaking and they are putting out these amazing massive movies with Greta Gerwig, Barbie is the perfect example of what I think is kind of her stamp where she understands humor. She knows how to make unique, original humor stories, 
but to include the heart with them, to make sure it's not just a comedy. There's a lot more to it when you pay attention. Loving what Greta Gerwig is doing. I'm very excited to watch Little Women soon. And then Damien Chazelle, who, in my opinion, is putting out hit after hit. You have Whiplash, which I think is a perfect movie. You have La La Land, which was incredible. You have Babylon, which I absolutely love and I think will be looked back on very fondly. And his understanding of how score affects a movie. And that's his signature seal and what he does in these movies. This was These were four rapid-fire reviews that I was very excited to talk about because I could feel what the director did with each of them. Very excited about that. Go watch all four of those movies. Dunkirk, The Fablemans, Lady Bird, La La Land, and pay attention to the directors and what each movie does differently. No, that's the directorial stamp on it. All right. We did my... Four rapid reviews for movies I watched at home. Now let's dive into a couple movies I saw in theater in the past week. First one I saw was Theater Camp. This movie was very fun, and yet again, it had a unique feel to it. It stars Jimmy Tatro, who you may know from his YouTube channel, Life According to Jimmy. He was also in 22 Jump Street and The Machine. Ayo Edebiri, who was in The Bear. She played Chef Sidney. Got Ben Platt, who was in Pitch Perfect and was also a writer on the movie. And then it has Molly Gordon, who was also in The Bear. She played Claire. She was in Animal Kingdom, Good Boys, Booksmart. Not only was she in the movie, but she also wrote and directed for the film. What a fun movie. It's From that list, it's clear it's not really any A-list star celebrities, which sometimes I do love in a movie because it allows you to separate. A good example of this is... Barbie, where I said one of the things for me that I loved about it was that it never felt like Margot Robbie. It felt like Barbie. That's only a problem with A-list stars. Where like Ryan Reynolds is a great example. He makes very fun movies, but more often than not now, he is Ryan Reynolds in the movie than whatever character. In this movie, it allowed you to really focus on the characters and who they are. Theater Camp tells the story of a summer theater camp where the woman that is beloved that runs it falls into a coma and her YouTube star social media influencer son has to come in to run it and what happens from there. It's very fun. It's a strange kind of comedy. There are points in the movie where myself or others laughed when not many other people were laughing. It is very unique in an original story, which I love. Like I said, Molly Gordon directed it. This was her first feature film as a director, and I think she did a great job. It's very evident her comedic sense is strong in this movie. It uses inserts to move the story along quicker and in a comical way. By insert, I just mean a few scenes unfold, and then to move the story along, a black screen comes up, and then some text appears on it to kind of tell you what's happening, what you're not seeing. And some of those text moments were the funniest parts of the film it just was such a great little satirical bit of humor to do it through text in a very wry way i loved it it's such an enjoyable comedy yet another director giving a movie their distinct feel and that's what's really setting this apart from other movies i've seen this year and why i enjoyed it so much it's not the best movie i saw this year it's probably not in the top 10 but it's very enjoyable and i think When it's available to watch at home, you should 100% watch it at home because you will laugh and you'll have a good time and you will not felt you wasted a single minute on this movie. 
Theater Camp got a 7.8 out of 10. Very enjoyable. Highly recommend watching it. All right. One more movie I'm going to dive deep into today. This one surprised me quite a bit. Sunday, I caught a matinee showing of Talk to Me, the newest film from A24. I had to go see it. It's A24's movies have been growing on me a lot lately. I've been trying to watch more of them, especially in theaters, but at home when and where I can. And I really enjoyed Talk to Me. It's a horror film, and I very rarely watch horror movies in Even less often do I go see them in theaters, but like I said, A24, I had to go catch it. And wow, this movie was absolutely so good. It tells the story of these friends who someone they know has this hand, kind of ceramic or something like that, that when you light a candle, you hold the hand and you say, talk to me, you're able to talk with spirits of the dead. And if you say, I let you in, the spirit will then inhabit your body until the connection is broken and the candle is blown out. Immediately after the movie ending, myself and the people I saw it with were talking about, wow, that was great because it was original. It was a unique story. It was something new. And that's so rare nowadays. Most of the movies you see are IP or a franchise or something else. This was unique and original. And that's what A24 really does best. They keep putting out original stories that cause you to think of something new or look at something in a new light, and it, it's great. The movie can almost be seen as a metaphor because your main character, Mia, in the film, her mother died in recently, and she becomes almost obsessed with using this hand and talking with the spirits. And the movie's almost a metaphor for those that are grieving using hard drugs to cope with their grief. And as Mia becomes more and more obsessed with this hand and talking with the spirits, it has a massive negative effect on herself and those around her, and she is oblivious to the effect it's really having. A couple scenes in the movie were truly harrowing. A character, Riley, uses the hand to talk with spirits at one point, and the events that follow will stay in my mind for a very long time. There's one scene that is far, far gorier than the rest of the movie, but it's not gory for gory's sake. It really adds to this movie and what this hand, how dangerous it can be and what effect it has. And I understand how gore can be a little too much sometimes. This scene was borderline too much, but it did add to the movie, which is great. There's one point where every time when one's communing with the spirit, if you want them to enter your body, You have to say, I let you in. Mia's communing with the spirit, and rather than her saying it, the spirit says, I let you in. And she inhabits the spirit and sees what the spirit is seeing. What a great way to flip the script, to change expectations on you. And not just for the sake of subversion, it's for a storytelling reason. It moved the plot along, and it really gave it this sense of urgency. So well done. I love that. And then... At the end of the movie, when a spirit is just wandering around in the dark. Nothing around, no sound, nothing, until suddenly you hear a match struck and a candle lit and you see the door has been opened and you understand these spirits are just waiting for someone to open that door. What a great movie. It's directed by yet another set of rookie directors, brothers, Michael and Danny Philippu. They're YouTubers, they grew up in Australia, 
they knew a producer at Causeway Films, Samantha Johnson, and they got to working on this project together. So happy they put the movie out. I, I feel like their brand of, hu- brand of horror could do very well if they decide to stick with horror. They are supposed to have an upcoming project of a, I believe it's a Street Fighter film. Excited to see what they do. It's This has been a great debut for them. The film had a $4.5 million budget. It's opening weekend. It's already pulled in $10 million domestically, which is great. To over double your budget in one weekend on a small independent film such as this, A24 is going to love to see that. It bodes well for them that, hey, we can make you a profit. We can make an original story that people will like and will want to go see that you can market however you see fit, and it's going to do really well. Excited to see what the Philippi brothers do and where their career take them. Yet again, another original story with a director who knows how to put, or in this case directors who are able to put their own stamp and feel on the movie. Talk to Me is getting an 8.0 out of 10. Absolutely loved it. This was a great Weekend for me of watching smaller original story movies. Theater Camp, Talk to Me, both great, both with rec- rookie directors. I This is what I love about movies. I love seeing something new. I love looking into it after the fact and seeing that, while they're not my favorite movies of the year, two movies that I thoroughly enjoyed were made by new directors. So it gives me new people to follow in the industry. If either any of them have new projects coming up soon, you can be damn sure I will be in the theater to watch it because I love what they're doing. All right. And those are my two in-depth reviews for recent releases. It's been, like I mentioned already a couple times, July has been a great movie month for me. You had Barbenheimer weekend. My month started with me watching The Godfather Part 1 and 2. You have watching classic Spielberg movies, both new and old, Christopher Nolan films mixed in, some Greta Gerwig, Damien Chazelle. I watched two of his movies, Babylon and La La Land, this month. Been really trying to broaden my movie horizons while also staying true to what I love. I watched a bunch of Mission Impossible movies this month to get ready for Dead Reckoning Part 2. Sorry, Dead Reckoning Part 1. And speaking of it, Barbenheimer Weekend, as I talked about, has been massive at the box office. And one of the movies that's taken the biggest hit is Mission Impossible. Through 19 days of its release, is $30 million below its predecessor fallout, which no one really expected. Most people, even this being a post-COVID movie, people are thinking this will piggyback off what Tom Cruise did with Top Gun Maverick last summer, and this will be a big earner, it'll out-earn fallout. That has not been the case. It is well below it. It does not have good legs. It is consistently losing screens. And it carries a budget that is over $100 over $100 million higher than that of its predecessor. This is a flop. I think they would benefit from dropping the part two or changing the name of the next Mission Impossible. Get that off your shoulders. Just tell your story. We'll see. But is it a fluke? Because Barbenheimer, this has been massive. Oppenheimer is now at $174 million domestically in 10 days, which is good for ninth in the year. Ninth domestically after just 10 days is remarkable. And I think Oppenheimer's remarkable. Barbie has been even more incredible. In those same 10 days, it's done $351 million domestically. That is over 
double what Oppenheimer has earned. It puts it in the fourth highest earner this year. It is only behind Mario across the Spider-Verse in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It is quickly approaching Guardians and across the Spider-Verse. It will likely pass it by the middle of this week. It'll have to have a good lengthy run to catch Mario, but I think it will. When you look at what's coming up movie-wise, Barbie has a chance to hold the number one weekend spot for a few weeks. You have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Meg 2 coming out the same week. Those will both pull from Barbie's audience a little bit, but everyone I've heard that has seen Barbie has instantly agreed, I need to go watch watch that a second time. How many of those people are going to... Most of them will probably prefer to go see Barbie again rather than go see The Meg 2. While The Meg 2 will do great internationally, China loved the first Meg movie, I don't think it's going to do that great in the States. I think you'll see Barbie take another number one slot in the weekend. Then you have a horror film in the last voyage of the the last voyage of the Demeter Demeter. I don't know how to pronounce it, but horror is never going to take away from something like Barbie. That is a pop culture event that's going to stay number one through that. Likely, its first contest is going to be with Blue Beetle, the next DC movie. But most people I'm hearing talk about it just say I feel like the trailer told me everything I need to know, and I don't have any interest in this character. DC has lost its goodwill to get me into the theater for a character I have no idea who it is. Then you have Gran Turismo, which Sony is already showing signs of concerns given that they changed the release on it. And then not until the first week of September do you have the Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington that might knock Barbie out of number one spot. Barbie's going to make a billion dollars, without a doubt. Its second weekend, this past weekend, it did $93 million, which is good for seventh all time in terms of biggest second weekends and it's not a part of a franchise every other entry above it in those top seven are part of a franchise you have star wars the force awakens the return of star wars you have the first avengers movie you have avengers infinity war and endgame all massive franchise movies the next installment that became movie events you have black panther which i believe came out during a holiday weekend, but was also another cultural event that people felt the need to be in on. And you have Jurassic World, another franchise. For Barbie to be in the likes of those just shows how incredible this movie is doing. Its opening weekend of $162 million has been the largest weekend earner all year. This Barbie phenomenon, Oppen. Barbenheimer phenomenon is going to be looked at and be studied because it's been an incredible marketing tactic. It has become a pop culture event. There have been Warner Brothers marketing executives who have said, we expected the movie to do well. We hoped it would be big. Never in our wildest dreams did we expect it to be what it is. The movie's going to make a billion dollars. It's great for Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig. I love to see them succeed. What was my favorite movie of the year? I'm so happy to see this. Once again, if you haven't seen it, go see Barbie in theaters while you can. It's so worth it. And that's the last of the box office updates I have today. So this was a fun episode for me. I Once again, I'm always going to try to focus on something specific. And it's really been the directors that have been huge for me in my past week of watching movies. I don't know what I have coming up movie-wise. We'll have to see. 
I'm going to have to keep my eye on horror movies. As my friend Anastasia says, we are getting into spooky season, so horror is going to be everywhere. So I'll probably go catch a couple horror movies since apparently now I like watching those in theaters, but I'll let you know as I watch more movies. I think I'm going to try to dive in to... What do I want to dive into this week? I don't know. I have to see what I want to watch at home. I think I might go into some of the A24 horror films. Midsummer, Midsummer. I don't know how to pronounce it. Starring Florence Pugh. Supposed to be amazing. Might check that out. A24. I love it. Follow me on Letterboxd. If you don't, that's where I post all of my movie watching habits. Keep up with me on TikTok and Instagram as I continuously post on there. And follow, like, comment, Share, subscribe, whatever it takes. I'm on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, let me know what you think. And thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby of the Sidekick Critic Podcast, and I'll see you next time. Mm